You're listening to the American Alpine Club podcast. Micah Burhart is a pro climber, a certified climbing guide, a conservation entrepreneur running an international organization, and a writer. She's also a mother to twins, and she's still figuring it all out. She's leaning into messy coherence and learning how to be the best mom, climber, spouse, professional, and guide along the way. Her new book, More, Life on the Edge of Adventure and Motherhood, is a compilation of the -the in-the-moment journals and voice memos Micah recorded while she was pregnant and during the first five years of her children's lives, recording the raw messiness of wanting to do it all and even then asking for more of life and of herself. Along the way, she takes an honest look at risk in motherhood, gender roles, navigating jealousy, her work, her marriage, climbing hard with the changes her body experienced, and giving her children her best and highest self. Micah's book, More, identifies the ways that life seeps into our climbing and is intricately tied into it. In this episode, we dive into the raw themes of More, the process of making the book, and the larger conversation about parenting and climbing. The book has been nominated for the Next Big Idea Club's March Must Read list, and you definitely want to get your hands on a copy. Since 1981, outdoor research has created trusted apparel, accessories, and equipment for you to thrive outside. Their award-winning outdoor gear is meticulously researched and tested for outdoor enthusiasts and military users around the globe. Grounded in their values of curiosity, passion, innovation, collaboration, and community, OR strives to create space for all in the outdoors. OR celebrates wins outside at every level together with their ambassadors, nonprofit partners, and employees. Check them out at outdoorresearch.com. Hi, Micah. Welcome to the podcast. Really excited to talk about your book more, but also just kind of like all about your life, how uh, all the elements that you're up to, which is very much embedded throughout the book um, because it's a memoir. So... Can you introduce yourself and like tell us a little bit about you? Huh. Way to give me the hardest question to start, Hannah. I'm really jazzed to be here with you. And okay, introducing myself, let's see. Today, my version is that I am an author. I'm a pro climber. I'm a mom. I also am a social entrepreneur and founded an organization called The Gato that is working to disrupt conservation and build climate justice around the world. See, that was pretty good. That was a good short elevator pitch. It's so much more like complicated than that, but you got it all in there. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I'm a really tired human in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, like those, or like one of those, one of those many things, they all, they all kind of flex at different points on any given day or any hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's, since this is a climbing podcast, let's just start there. Um, what's like, tell me about a climbing memory where you were like particularly joyful. Ooh, you know, I had a really cool experience last week, I think it was. So Kitty Calhoun was out here to be part of the Mount Washington Valley Ice Fest. And to like back up, Kitty was my hero, right? So when I was growing up and I was 
you know, in the 90s, when I was climbing and starting to do more and more ice climbing and starting to think about doing big mountaineering trips, I would see Kitty on the cover of these magazines. And I was like, wow, I should get in touch with her, right? Because like, she's someone who I should hang out with. So I actually wrote Kitty a note was like, hey, do you want to go climb Denali with me? And by the way, a bunch of these other young women and make it a big fundraiser around breast cancer. And, you know, it's like total out of the blue. And Kitty was lovely and delightful, but was like, uh, hell no. Right? <laughs> like, this is not how this is going to go. But was very sweet about it. And, you know, now to fast forward, you know, whatever, almost, you know, 28 years or something like that to have become really good friends with Kitty and then to be out climbing in my hometown on Cathedral Ledge at a place that she has been to, but had never done this wonderful, like crazy winter climb called Remission, which is like a an awesome climb, sort of a valley test piece and to be able to belay Kitty on the crux pitch gave me joy, right? Like, so it wasn't me getting out there and being like, wow, I totally crushed this thing. This was amazing. It was seeing this woman who I have had a relationship with first in my head, <laughs> then an actual relationship with over decades. And now like sharing a rope with her and being able to celebrate doing something that was pretty flipping hard that day and was a really big, like just a great tick. No one had climb remission yet that year for the two of us to be doing it, for it to be two women doing it. Um, and for me to be doing it with someone who I've admired and has been a mentor for me for so long was kind of all time. Yeah, that does sound like a very highlight moment. That's so awesome. And did it get a little bit warmer after those like freezing cold temperatures? Oh man, we've had such the erratic, I mean, the Northeast is always erratic, which is what makes the ice climbing so good here. But the, you know, this winter, I mean, there's no way you can have any conversation about climate change, not being part of the program. If you're looking at what's happened this winter, I think it was like the coldest, one of the colder Decembers and one of the warmest Januaries, like just, just all over the place. So there's no planning that's happening in climbing right now, right? Like you can't say, hey, two weeks from now, let's go to this area. You're like, actually, like Willoughby is totally not a good destination right now because things are settling or so you have to have this inherent flexibility, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging to say the least. Yeah, I definitely would find that especially challenging as someone who likes to plan things a lot. <laughs> okay, so... Another kind of element of who you are is that you're a writer, and that's kind of why you're here today. We're talking about your book more and how your identity as a mom and a climber and a writer have all intersected, as well as like a social, uh, what was the word? Social and social entrepreneur. Okay, cool. I love that. Um, so you've written a couple of books before. Can you tell us a little bit about when you started writing? What calls you to be a writer, and some of the, some information about your previous writing? Yeah. So I was definitely that kid who was always writing, right? Like I wrote plays in first grade, even before first grade, I would like, you know, come up with these ideas and have the kids in my neighborhood put on these plays together. And I went to a Montessori school. So this kind of stuff was highly encouraged. It's like, write another play. And, you know, that'll be something that we'll all put together. So I was a journal keeper and writing was always a place I think that gave me peace and quietness to like, collect myself. And as I got older, I actually started writing. I was building a house uh, when I moved to Estes Park, Colorado, and I started building this straw bale house. And I would have all of these ideas in my head about the, you know, kind of what I was learning from putting together this super eco-friendly house with climbing. And I, my first piece ever that I published was called The Fang Shui of Alpinism. And climbing, uh, published it as an essay. It was just a really fun thing, applying Fang Shui principles to climbing and, you know, putting Barry Blanchard on the bus for not wearing the right clothing. Um, therefore, his Fang Shui was off. He couldn't, you know, secure the summit. It was a pretty tongue in cheek 
piece. And quickly after that, I got a, I started having a column for Climbing Magazine. So that was really wonderful. And I was in the right place, right time, was really able to put my perspective out there, had a lot of fun with it. My way of writing has always been deeply human. I've never been someone who writes about having it all together because I have never had it all together as a climber, as sort of a journeyer in this world. So, you know, I did pieces about how to split up your gear when getting divorced, you know, things like this that were really about like the authentic heart of what happens when you're a climber along with doing these other things in your life because i've never been able to be a climber devoid of everything else right like i'm always trying to thread the line being a climber where all these other things are layered on top of that or crashing into that depending on the day so for me i had a couple i wrote my first book was about climbing in ethiopia i've written a book about coffee in ethiopia called coffee story ethiopia and then more was an unintentional book i was recording audio journals to my babies to my twins the moment i found out i was pregnant i suddenly realized that i had these like actually before i knew there were two of them that i had like i was it was it was not just me anymore right like i could actually have a conversation with this being growing in my stomach and then these two beings and so i start i would record them audio journals that were a lot of crying and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of like oh no what is going to happen how am i going to do this lots of snot and then i started like you know texting them little notes and doing all these things just trying to have a place to put like kind of like the hot mess of emotions of what is going to happen? What does this mean? How am I going to do it on every level? And, you know, I kept writing that. And three years in, after my kids were three years old, I sat down, I said, I think this is a book. I think that I could put it together and make it something that I want to share with the world. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, so I wanted to specifically ask you about that element that you're speaking to about kind of how integrated our lives are with climbing. And I think that some, a lot of climbing literature doesn't reckon with that, but one moment in particular, I mean, obviously the entire book is a testament to that. But also one moment in particular is like a number of times that you have scenes where you're talking about ice climbing and you're, all you're thinking about is like, okay, next move, also my twins. What are they doing right now? Like <laughs> that sort of thing. And so it was just so clear, like that climbing was so integrated into everything else you were doing as well. Yeah, because you can't, It, I mean, rarely can you be fully escape for me like I could never escape from everything into climbing like my brain just goes too much right it's like oh let me climb let me also try to put up an ascent and bring scientists onto Mount Namuli so we can discover new new species it's like geez Mike I just calm down right but no like it's and then when I became a parent it was I mean there are moments and that's one of the things that I think we all love about climbing right like if I'm in the middle of trying something really hard I'm not thinking about the grocery list and thinking about like whether or not my daughter can find her lovey that she calls purple even though it's brown at that moment but I but you know the moment we stop and for sure when we're belaying right like it's kind of this funny thing especially ice climbing right because you have these like really long belay sessions so there's a lot of cogitating that can happen in that moment right plus a lot of like you know cold cogitating so you have like a high output and then a lot of downtime so you know your brain kind of follows those two things too yeah um and kind of to follow up on that i guess do, did you start thinking about this memoir as like part of climbing literature or like maybe pushing a boundary of climbing literature? Yeah, that's a great question, Hannah. I have recently begun to understand that, right? Like I, as I said, this book was not written intentionally. So it's a very different thing. It, you know, and because of that, as I even talk about in the book, it's not this beautiful, blurred, edgy look back at the highlights of becoming a parent while climbing and while running a growing business, right? It's like the in the moment rawness of it. And so because of that, 
I didn't set out and say, ooh, this could be part of the climbing literature canon. And what would that be if I wrote this book? It was more, this is the book. Like, this is the book that, you know, like came out of me. Where does it go in the world? Where should it be? Like, and I think that there's lots of different ways to understand that. I think it absolutely is pushing a boundary in terms of how we think about climbing literature. And I'm proud to do that. I'm really excited that like the Kendall Mountain Festivals in conversation about that I'm talking about it with BAMP that, you know, it's like, hey, it, it, it's about the, all of the things that are jumbled into climbing that makes it relevant in our lives, not just these pure narratives of here's an ascent or here's an ascent peppered with a little bit of life. And I think that we're at a really cool moment in what's happening with climbing that we have to see it as refractive of the larger global landscape that we're in. And we've been missing out by not doing that. And I think I would hope that this is part of that conversation and pushes it further down the court. Yeah. Okay. So many great things there. But also, I think I want to take a moment. We'll come back to your book for sure. But I want to take a moment because I think that specifically also highlights what you're doing with Legato. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So Legato is an organization that, as I said in the intro, like we're really seeking to disrupt conservation and build climate justice. So why? What does that mean? Well, imagine that most conservation and most development work that's been done internationally in the world is like, I have this great idea and I have this ability to do a thing, protect forests, dig a well, create primary schools. I am going to now voice that upon local communities who in Legato's case happen to work in some of the most biodiverse area, live in some of the most biodiverse areas in the world. And in order for us to interact, they need to be on my program. It's quite a backwards way to think about interacting at a, from a human to human space. So imagine for me, I started Legato as a climber. I started Legato like finding new species to bring scientists up on Mount Namuli in Mozambique launching a conservation program at that point with a local conservation organization named Lupa in Mozambique. And then thinking to myself, this isn't enough. Because very quickly, the Lomwe people that were living on Mount Namuli were like, hey, so we have all these other things we want to happen in our lives, and you're not listening to us. And there's this fundamental decision point that I had. I'm like, I can either keep the blinders on and say, nope, all of the funding is from the conservation world. The conservation world is very narrow. I need to talk to you about a very cool frog and just keep your forest together. Or I can be a person. Right. And like for me at that point, too, when I became a mom, that just changed rapidly for me because I'm saying, why is it OK for us to put our concept of choices on other people, but we don't want that done to ourselves? And the one thing that we know for sure is that change is happening and that we all need to be drivers and be agents in how we respond to that change. So there needs to be a fundamental systems shift. So Legato had been kind of untethering from more conventional. We've never been super conventional conservation, but we were untethering from that even more. And then we just hard stop said, no, what we exist to do is to backstop local and indigenous people to create their thriving future with all of the parameters that they need, whether it's education, health, protecting their biodiversity, culture, governance, you name it. And our job is to listen to them and backstop them to make it happen versus having our agenda be adopted by them. Yeah, that is so cool. I think that's like really important for yeah, like the environmental justice conversation to be integrated into kind of everything. And I think that's, it seems to me like the entire theme of everything about you is like, these all these are all intersected in like the entire world when we're trying to support uh, other people, when we're trying to be climbers in international spaces, when we're trying to conserve, like that's all intersected as well as like as a person, as a climber, 
your identities are intersecting as well. And I just love that that is so evident throughout everything literally that you do. <laughs> it's very coherent and I love that. But it's also so messy, which is a perfect and human and exactly what I need to hear. I love that. It's like messy coherence, right? I mean, yeah. that's sort of what we're all going for because it's not linear and it doesn't all, you know, it doesn't all line up, but it, if you're willing to be in the messiness of it, that is, I think where you find it to be coherent because for me, this outsides concept, I mean, I came from it as, you know, I, and I've, I've written about this before. I think it's even in the book. I mean, it certainly has been in articles that I've written and for Alpinists. I know in particular, like I grew up in Minnesota on these canoe trips. And I remember being on a 45 day canoe trip on in the Arctic and seeing Inuit people like day, like 35 and being so pissed that they were ruining my wilderness experience. Like I literally remember that. And I'm 17 because my concept was that the value of being outdoors was that it was devoid of people, which is so not at all. Like we just, we, you know, we are in a new place in time, which is we damn well should be right now. But we also need to understand that this concept of conservation, like even the word is really fraught because it, it seems to suggest that people aren't a part of it. But the reality is that people are everywhere. Like we are people, every, you know, people who are stewards of some of these most, the most biodiverse places in our world. Like we have to relate to them first at, in that human way and say, what are you trying to create your world versus having these one-off solutions. But what's really ironic about it is that there's so much focus today on saying, no, you've got to be, you got to just deliver one thing. You got to tight, especially in an organizational culture, right? This is, this is the one solution and it's the one magic bullet. And it's like, what if that's not the way to do it? What if there also needs to be a sector of your organization that says, we might have a, a magic bullet. We might make really cool new ways of doing dirt floors. And we also believe in backstopping local communities for whatever it is they want. And we have a group that's devoted to nurturing that in a specific way. And that's what Legato does. That's so great. So one of the uh, themes of more the book was kind of negotiating, you know, risk in motherhood with your climbing, but also negotiating work in motherhood and specifically also through your own lens of like the way your relationship with your own mother worked. Tell us a little bit about, kind of navigating that through line. Yeah. You know, this book became not only a letter to my kids, but a letter to my mom and trying to like kind of desperately find my way to someone who you can never know, which is your mother when you are a young child. And there was nothing I wanted more through. And today it's like, I, that would be my, if I could pick a person to be on not an island, just in like this office with me right now, it'd be my mom when I was six and a half, just like I am right now with my six and a half year old twins. It's like, what's going on? Did I wake up with bloody noses because Kaz has for the past three days? How did you do that and put on nylons and pumps and go to work all day? And like, did the school call you? And did you lose your mind? Right? Like all of those pieces. And I think for me, I really was trying to, I, I eventually learned that I was trying to understand how to how to balance these things, but not in some esoteric spreadsheet, but balance these things as me. And I grew up super lucky in the world that I had a mom who had like a lot of opportunity and created the opportunity and had a career that she drove at. But that also meant that in the late seventies and the eighties, she was not coming at three o'clock to pick me up when school was done. She was not there at noon when we had early release. Like my kids just did. I look over my shoulder because my kids go to school. Like I can see their, their school from my house in our small town of Jackson, right? Like she couldn't have done both of those things, but I'm trying to do both of those things. I'm trying to have 
have this career. I'm trying to be a mom who can show up for my kids at three o'clock when they're done with school. And I'm also trying to climb which is super perverse because climbing is really inefficient, right? Like it just does, like it would be so much easier if my life would be easier if I could let go of that part of myself. And yet that's a part of, that's like such a part of who I am fundamentally. So how do you add more, but also be better at all of those elements versus throwing your hands up and saying, I'm trying to do so much. So I'm probably going to suck at all of it. It's like, wait a second. What if you can do all of those things well. What does it mean? What is the balance? And how do you find that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think kind of coming back to the coherent messiness, like that was, I think part of it was just like, there is messiness in figuring out that balance, right? And so I, I was thinking about, you know, this story in relationship to maybe some of the more curated depictions of outdoor motherhood that you might see on the Instagram or something. Do you, did you kind of feel like you were speaking to some of that? Like, because I remember at some point in the book, you talk about like feeling a little isolated because maybe other moms weren't talking about this this way. I think it's, I think motherhood is an incredibly isolating experience. Um, And I also think it's isolating to be in partnership in parenthood, which sounds really ironic, right? But like, you can both be doing your best as co-parents but feeling really lonely at the same time because you've lost this person who used to be your number one connector. And suddenly you're kind of both trying your hardest to do a thing that's together, but you're not doing it together. And it's a very confusing space to be in. So then you add to that the fact that what you really want to do is be in these real nuanced conversations about like, man, this is hard and this is kicking my butt today. But yet every time you're interacting with other parents, like you're largely, you have kids, you're not really jumping into this, you know, beneath the surface, you're halfway in a conversation, you're not sure how real you can be with that person if it's a new friend. And so I think that becomes complicated. And for me, I wasn't so much trying to say, hey, let's de-Instagram this sort of like shiny, happy, look at my kids doing all this fun stuff. It's more saying it's both, right? Because it's not, I mean, I have both. Like I, you know, have kiddos who, you know, like I love shooting little videos of us going ice skating. And at the same time, you know, what is not on there is my son all of a sudden being like, I don't want to, I don't want to leave the house today. And I'm like, okay, great. So now it's me and my son and my daughter because Peter's guiding today. So what do I do? Do I have my daughter not be able to go skiing or ice skating because her brother doesn't want to? Well, that seems really crappy and unfair. Can I take my son and leave him at the bottom of the ski hill? Nope, not yet. He's six and a half. That's probably not how I want a parent. Crap. What do I do? Right? Like, and it's, it's that you have these beautiful moments and then you have these just soul crushing moments of trying to figure out what to do next and add to that the fact that you're also trying to like figure out how to nurture your kiddos. Like kids are a part of this. And I think sometimes we forget that. Like we can sort of talk about parenthood as this, as as if they're like these figurines, right? And you kind of move these figurines where you want them to go, but they're not that. They're multidimensional, wickedly complex kiddos who turns out was really easy when they were a year and a half and you could just pick them up and stuff them to a car seat and be like, tough luck if I can handle the car, the crying, we're doing this. And then when they're six and a half and they weigh 55 pounds, you're kind of like, well, we're at an impasse here. What are we going to do? Right. And like, you don't want to do this or you don't want me to go climbing right now because my kids will say that to me. They're like, Mama, no, I haven't had enough time with you right now. It's not I don't want you to go climbing. Not today. I need Mama and Papa time. Right. And like, we don't think about that when we talk about risk and parenting. That's not part of the dialogue. It's more like, oh, we'll just figure it out. And like, I, you know, I got three weeks to be away from my family because my partner is supporting it. It's like we're not talking about, again, the nuance. Right. And kind of like that complicated messiness of saying 
wait a second, like, how are my kids doing? Because that factors into the decision you make when you're parenting inside of an awareness of that, which I would argue most of us are, all of us are parenting in the consequence. And many of us, and I would say, I would hope that most of us are parenting, trying like mad to do it intentionally. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because I do feel like I hear a lot of discussion around the risk in parenthood element, but not that more multifaceted, like what do my kids need? Like time and like that sort of element. Well, and around women, right? I mean, there's this huge, you know, we still can't yet break into this conversation of like women and climbing and kids, right? And there's, I mean, trust me, when Hillary died last year and I thought, okay, here we go, like losing this incredible luminary person and also saying, this is restarting a narrative around motherhood and risk that we haven't, like, we haven't turned a new cycle in. And there's part of me that doesn't even want to have that conversation, right? Like, I don't want to have it with you, Hannah, on an AAC podcast. I don't want to, but I think in what I've been thinking about more and more lately, as I've been called to talk about this in the context of my book coming out, is that we have to move away from, I like, thinking of ourselves as one dimensional, like women are not going to have one way of parenting and climbing. It's just like, it's bullshit, right? Men don't have that. There's tons of men out there climbing and parenting in lots of different ways. Some of them that decide to scale back, some of them that don't scale back, some of them that take expeditions at some times, don't other times. And we're almost like, we're okay with that because there's more of them, but there's so few women that are doing it at this high enough level that there's this homogenization effect that happens, right? It's like, well, that must be how women are going to handle it. It's like, no, that's, that might be how one person handled it in the moment. I can tell you that I feel different now than I felt five years ago. I'm going to feel different five years from now. And it's also going to depend on where my kiddos are at, right? It's like the, the, it's about motherhood and climbing. It's not just about like this person and the choice they're making. It's like, you know, some people who get to make those choices, they have a bigger safety net. They have they have a understanding with other caregivers and their kids feel comfortable with those caregivers to go to them for that bloody nose, for that extra tooth that suddenly showed up in their mouth, who knows how to go to the dentist. And other parents can't get there because their kid has something else going on. And I feel like, again, we're trapped in this conversation still around motherhood and climbing and risk that I'm really interested to sort of like punch at the walls in and say, hold on, can we do this in a better way? And can we expand this conversation so that people aren't so afraid to dip your toe in it? Because I can tell you as a professional climber who is a woman, way before I had kids, I was terrified about having that conversation after like, you know, you're like, oh, Alison Hargraves, like you, you just, like, it just makes you not it makes you want to avoid it because it makes you feel like you have to speak for everyone. Well, what if we don't have to speak for everyone? What if that's the part that's broken? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That is a massive conversation and I definitely hope it's going to break open at some point, stop the cycle. (laughs) Hey, quick ask. If you're a fan of this podcast, we would love your help getting the word out there. Give us a rating on whichever platform you're listening on. Or if you're inspired, leave a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to know what your favorite episodes have been so far so we can make even more that really resonate. You know, I think it's described by somebody on the cover of the book as like really raw and truthful. Like you're, and I, it is very true. Like I was kind of honestly really refreshed by how just like willing to get into it you were. And so kind of I have some questions maybe about the composition of the book first. Like, were there a lot of different entries that could have gone into this, but you maybe trimmed it away? Or is this like everything? Oh, this is everything. (laughs) 
Cool. That's so awesome. Yeah. This is, this is everything, you know, as I said, there are recordings of a lot of this stuff, right? So I like sat down and transcribed them and, you know, had to add some things for context, right? Because you're going faster. I mean, literally I have this habit of writing emails to myself. This is how I would write some of the stuff. And, you know, I'd shorthand something or, you know, I, you know, obviously if someone else is going to read it, you have to like take a reader through a journey in that way. But yeah, no, this is, this is, this is the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. So there must've been some editing component just to make like the narrative make sense, but yep. it probably flowed pretty quickly in terms of putting it all together. Right. It did. Yeah. It was a really quick process to, and, and what happened for me also is that once I realized that this was, this was going to be a book, I was, I was still dumping in content, if that makes sense. So the dumping in content is I'd be like reading the background of it or, you know, going through you know, pregnancy to age three while I was writing age three to four because, and, and I would write age three to four in the exact same way. It'd be like in the middle of the night, grabbing my phone and being like, I can't believe that this is what's going on right now. And what the heck does this mean? And holy crap, or, re, you know, recording audio journals up to the very end. I mean, there are letters that I wrote to my mom that I spoke while I was in the car driving back and forth to Portland, Maine, um, when I was kind of towards the end of the book. And I was really coming into this realization of needing to detangle myself from the position I was in where everything felt so damn hard and really trying to take a different move in my life to have my marriage thrive and to like be the mom that I want to be. And I mean, the way I got to those entries that are now part of more was by speaking them into my phone while driving on windy roads on 113. So have you just been somebody who can be this raw and truthful or is that something that you had to work in like up to? Oh man, I bet if you ask most people, most of my friends, they'd be like, oh yeah, she's like that all the time. It's pretty awkward. Uh, <laughs> I, I've always written like this. This has always been who I've shown up like that. I am, um, you know, I have social skills, so I'm not, you know, kind of an unfiltered person. And, and But I, I am oftentimes like very candid and very up for having a real conversation about what's going on. So, yeah. Also kind of about the book process, are you kind of con like what, I know in the book it says, I'll just know when it's, when it ends, like, yeah. but are you continuing to like kind of record those audio snippets for your kids? I do. I can't really stop doing it or writing notes and, and it, it needed, there was a, a really big moment not to give it away that happened that I realized was like a reflector point and an intersection between my life growing up and what was happening for the kids. And it was this really natural place to stop more and to stop it in the choice that I made at that point. So yeah, like that was over, but I'm, you know, I'm always writing down these little things or transcribing little conversations that happen because it's part of who I am. And it's part of who I parent, I think is to, it's how I parent my children and how I parent myself as a mother is to record it along the way and to say, wow, catch that, hold on, pause, take a moment and soak that in. And the way I do it is by scribbling things down. So also at one point you say rock climbing is my partner, but ice climbing is my lover. And I love that so much because like just recently I started talking about climbing or like other my other like skiing and other things that I do as like a relationship. And I just thought that was really funny. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, ice climbing has from the very beginning when I started ice climbing, which was back when I was um, nine, eight, 18, I think was the first time I went ice climbing. It just felt 
so liberating and so, I mean, talk about raw. It just felt like raw and enabling. Rock climbing always felt a little bit more like you have to do it a certain way. And especially when you're learning how to ice climb, when you get, when you're ice climbing at a higher level, there's like, well, you have to use this little chunk of ice to be able to navigate between these two little mixed things and you have to get more specific. But at the very beginning, you're just like, I want to go there. Har, I'm going there, right? Like, it's like you get to do it and what you could just be you doing it. And there's something about that that was so freeing and I became really passionate about and it just felt, yeah, like it felt, I would say it's that, it's that freeing. So I think that's where that statement comes from, right? It's like, that's, I mean, that's the dream of having a lover, right? It's like, you just get to be you and they feed, you feed each other and it becomes this amazing passion vortex. So that's kind of what ice climbing is for me and rock climbing. I'm like, yep. All right. Yep. That didn't work. Yep. All right. I still can't climb that great. Right. You know, but ice climbing feels a little bit more like, yeah, like we have a more symbiotic, uh, passionate relationship. (laughs) While we're talking about climbing, what's like a climbing accomplishment of yours that you're particularly proud of? Wow. Is this a section when you're like, Micah, can you spray about something? (laughs) Like, I'm like, I don't know how to answer that. You know, one thing that I'm pretty proud of is that I moved to, so I first came to New Hampshire 15 years ago, just like literally just the other day, it was the 15 year anniversary of me coming out here. And it was for the Mount Washington Valley Ice Fest that I came out for the first time. My first book, Vertical Ethiopia, was out and Patagonia sent me out as part of like an, you know, climbing ambassador thing also with my book. And then I met Peter and, you know, the combination of ice climbing and a really wonderful man made me try to spend more and more time out here. And as I did that, it became really intriguing to me to start doing first female ascents. And so I've done a lot of first female ice ascents in New England since then. And I think that's important in our world to recognize that because I think, and and one thing that I've also really loved doing lately is doing like first all female ascents and doing that with, you know, mentoring younger climbers or climbers who are newer to the sport and being like, cool, let's go do this. And the excitement that I see happening. So like the other day when I was climbing with Kitty and we talked about this, like this moment of joy, right? So Kitty and I were climbing on cathedral and then I see climbers along the base and it's my friends, Alexa and Molly. And in this moment, there were only four climbers that I could see out there. And there was two parties of two women ice climbing and ice climbing, like not top roping, not that top roping isn't wonderful, but like going after it. And like that feels to me, it like, it fills me with this level of pride and hope and yeah, like in scrappiness. So I think something that I'm proud of is not only doing first female ascents, but also like working with other women and doing, you know, like all female ascents of a lot of really cool ice lines around here. Yeah. Yeah. This is making me think this is like not a fully formed question, but. Oh, good. I, I've given you lots of non-fully formed thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but I think one thing that really arose for me was when, especially like early when you had just had your twins and I love their names, by the way, is Kaz and, <laughs> is it Arena? Irena is how you say it. Irena. Okay. Yeah. But especially like early when you were still nursing, like the relationship between like a woman's body, a mother's body and climbing and like what that, because climbing is about your body and like all those intersections. So I don't know what to do with that besides like, do you have thoughts? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's really wild, right? Because it kind of goes back to, again, this idea. So I was talking with a younger adventure athlete recently and, you know, her making this choice about whether or not she's going to move into parenthood. And I feel like I could have been, that was me 
10 years ago, right? And the way I saw, saw it back again to this conversation about binary, right? It's like, I become this figure and I become a parent. And then there are these figurines that accompany me or conveniently, let's hope just one child, because then I can go do all these things I want to do. And we'll move ourselves like little characters on a playboard. And you don't think about the emotions or you don't think about the fact that like, I still have a major fissure in my abdominal wall, like, because my abs have not fully knitted back together after carrying twins full term and get like, gaining 70 pounds that I was damn proud to gain to bring my babies into the world healthy. Right. And it's like, my body isn't the same. So you, you don't factor those things in. And when we do all this planning, we're like, well, it'll be great because this is how it's going to work. And then you're like, Oh man, no, I have a kiddo that won't go to sleep unless I bounce them in a quiet room with a vacuum on for two months. Right. Like what does that mean about my return to greatness in this moment? So I think that the body politics of it and the body reality, there's, there's no way around that. And there's also lots of different ways to do it. Some people bounce back, like whatever, you know, so I'm, we're on a podcast, I'm doing air quotes, which is hysterical, but you know, like they like in quote, bounce back from something like that. What does that mean? Because you don't actually get back to something that you were before. Like your body's been through this transformative process, whether or not you're nursing, but just the act of being like a birth parent is pretty wild like that. And I think that what I really love is when I get to have candid conversations about that with other women who are climbers, who are also moms, right? And it's like, yeah, like, here's this reality. And then also the conversation, like, and also I don't want to get hurt right now because I have like a lot of responsibility at home, right? So it changes, not necessarily, you know, in some ways your risk calculus, but also like, I like, I mean, I was in Puerto Rico climbing with a good friend of mine named Rachel Spitzer, who's also a mom. And we were kind of, we're both like, yeah, this, like that factors into how you make choices. And it doesn't mean that you can't do something that's hard or that's the top of your game, but there are these other variables that you're bringing in that you didn't bring in before. It's like, yeah, I know that my body gets worked this way, or I can't, if I'm on really overhanging terrain, it just does not work for my abs in a certain way. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to choose to go to the, like, have that be my project because it's going to suck and I'm not going to be very happy, but I'm really jazzed at that woman over there who's had kids can pull it off and deeply envious and I'm still working on my jealousy issues but I you know like I get it we're we're different <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely cool well so I feel like you're you know as we've been talking and your book brings up a lot of these themes about like motherhood maybe the way that certain traps we fall into and kind of pushing the boundaries about the way we talk about certain things. Are there other topics maybe related to this that the climbing community needs to lean into a bit more? I think that we are, I think this is part of this larger conversation that we touched on earlier about understanding what's happening at a global level and what structures are in place that we need to question, what systems are there, not go tear it all down mindset, but definitely tear a lot of it down, right? Definitely change a bunch of it and say, wait a second, why do we make these assumptions? Why when we have, and I do this, right? And I am like, I am 46 and I wish I did not do this, but if I see a man and a woman walk up to a Craig, my first thought is that he probably knows more about climbing than her. And I hate that. And I hate admitting that, but it's like, it's been so tuned into me and it's been tuned into me in part because that's how people have approached me for the past 30 years. Right. So mm. it's like, it's like, wait a second. When, when does that not become this muscle memory that we have? Right. How do we, how do we look at all climbers regardless of their experience and what they're doing as valuable contributors into the climbing landscape? I think that, you know, we are, 
things are changing and we need to push at them to change them faster across how we're looking at inclusion, how we're looking at equity, how we're looking at what the impact is of climbing and what and, and, and balancing this idea that we have, there's a mystique and sexiness and independence to climbing, right? It's like, it's this, this, this version of a climber that we've all been sold and that we've all bought into where it's like, you're really like a person of the land and you, you know, you kind of like shun all responsibilities and you go off in the world and you go conquer things. And, you know, there's definitely the ideology of that from, you know, back in the day in terms of how like Everest was quote unquote conquered, but it still persists today in these little like subtle and not so subtle narratives. How do we start, stop, start flipping that script and go into the conversation that you and I have been having Hannah, which is like, it's climbing and it's climbing and life. Because I think that that's where number one, that's where, that's where we're going. It's where we're going to be able to call way more people into this conversation and actually be respectful. And I think alongside of that, it's where, Every single conversation that I've had when I've been on book tour or film tour in the past, you know, 15 years all over the world, that's the conversation that people most want to have, right? That's way more fun. You know, it's people who are saying like, I have this full-time job and I just started climbing and I love the fact that we get to talk about how these things go together, right? Like, yes, we need these rad things to happen and we need to talk about the, like the intersection of life with this to make this a space where everyone can belong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that brings me back to like, I know so many people where like their favorite, like they love the climbing. They're so obsessed with the climbing, but the things that really stick with them is like the conversation at the belay ledge that is about X, Y, Z messy thing in their life. Right. So like, I definitely agree. That's like where we're headed and we're having larger conversations about it as a community. Yeah. It's awesome. So what's next in your climbing? What's next in my climbing? Well, I really want winter to stick around a little longer in New Hampshire. It's been uh, too fleeting and it looks like we're getting a giant warm up again. Mm -hmm. So I hope what's next in my climbing is a sweet cold spell that brings a bunch of really rad ice back to the table in New Hampshire. And then, you know, transitioning in the seasonality of living in New England. And, you know, for me, it's getting out and climbing. It's appreciating where I live in New Hampshire, where there's a ton of access, which lets me be able to do things like have great half days and three quarter days and still be present as a mom and be present with my team all over the world with Legato. So it's about balancing that and looking at some different trips to incorporate down the road. I've been thinking more and more about this idea of like, family capital recently. And I think one thing that I've learned is because I run Legato and because I have programs and teams in Mozambique, Peru, and Kenya, there's a certain amount of family capital that I spend by doing that work, right? So it's like for me to go on a trip to go be with my team in Mozambique, to come back and say, now I'm going to go to Newfoundland for two weeks of ice climbing. Like you've already spent some of that. So it's me also understanding that I you know, that that's part of my amalgamation. And that's one of the reasons, again, why I'm really lucky that I live in New Hampshire and I can do the climbing that I get to do here without always having to do a big spend on my family capital to take me away to climb. Yeah, there's so much really cool access in New Hampshire, which also, but the warm up makes me think that you were part of the research that the AAC conducted about um, climate impacts in the Mount Washington Valley. And so I was just wondering if you could reflect a little bit about what it was like to participate in the focus groups of guides who, you know, we were yeah. like asking guides in the area what your experience has been, the impact. And I would guess I would, I'm interested in like, was that like pretty revelatory for you? Or is this a conversation that's been going on between guides? It's a conversation that's been going on, but it was nice to have a curated space to really talk about it and not do it in passing, you know, 
passing by off the, you know, your shoulder being like, man, it's really warm right now, man, things feel really sketchy, what's happening, but to sit there and talk about it and to hear different perspectives from people who've seen it over different swaths of time or really concentrated in one area. So yeah, it was really awesome. I actually haven't seen Freeze Thaw yet. I just got sent uh, the link because I missed it uh, at the Ice Fest the other week. So I'm, I'm jazzed uh, to dive in. Peter and I haven't seen it and we're both, we were both a part of that. So I think that it's, I've been part of a lot of conversation around climate and advocacy as a climber. I've been part of Climb the Hill with the American Alpine Club and the Access Fund. I've been part of Protect Our Winters. So I'm pretty familiar with being in those spaces. And I also really appreciated having, as you were saying, the focus groups of lots of different people from New England jumping in. And we do that with climbers. And I've also done that, you know, with people from all different types of recreation. And that becomes really fascinating because to shift policy and to make the changes that need to happen to for us to be able to work on what's happening to us with climate change it takes all of us having a conversation climbers are really important and climbers having a bigger platform and integrating with other people who are passionate about our planet is going to be critical Mm -hmm. yeah this is making me think possibly the impossible question, but if you were to give anybody advice who is trying to lean into more, right? Like to maybe do that advocacy work, but also be like cutting edge and whatever their sport is, that sort of thing. What would your advice be? That more is possible if you're gentle with yourself, because if you have to every single day have achieved at the highest level and all those things, you will be disappointing yourself and you will get worn out. But if you can be flexible with your time horizon. And if you can celebrate the moments of balance, I had to learn that. And I talk about in the book, it's like, wait, maybe I was balanced today because I ticked all these boxes. And I wish that I had had more one-on-one time with my daughter, or I wish that I had had, you know, yet another conversation with Philippa in Mozambique. But what I actually, but to honor the fact that I moved the needle on all those things I was passionate about, and then to be able to open and close the funnel of our of our intention and our imagination about what that can look like as we strive for more. Okay. Maybe last question. What's something that you don't think maybe is obvious about the book or you wish more people knew about the book that we, you can leave us with? Ooh, dang, Hannah. I don't have a great answer to that one. What is, I want to, you just finished reading the book an hour before you got here. What do you think? What's surprise? Like, hello? No, that's your question. What, what were you like? Wow. I had no idea we would go here. Well, I think, kind of back to like everything's integrated, I kind of expected it to be more about climbing and motherhood and your kids specifically, but how much like negotiating your marriage was part of it was like really powerful to me as well. And I was really surprised by that. I think maybe because I've been fed this idea that motherhood is just like a unit of like moms plus (laughs) children, right? Instead of you're negotiating with it a partner and like how that works. And so I thought that was really awesome and surprising. Yeah. It became a really big part of my story because I had to navigate that. Like I was talking about, like, how do you actually do partnership because you're not in an ecosystem by yourself. And I, I think that, as we said, it's not this warm retrospective, right? It's in the moment. And I really think that how we support families, how we support parents is by acknowledging what's actually happening in the moment versus always plasticizing it with these muted edges, because we're not going to get the support we need for paid leave, for universal childcare, for disrupting the way, you know, how the household division of labor happens across gender norms. None of that's going to happen unless we can talk about what it feels like in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the other thing and kind of the, the 
rawness you brought to the book and everything is something that I really saw myself in as well as I think there's a moment where you're climbing with Peter and you're like dang I wish I was better at him at this one thing or kind of being competitive and like I was like and because of how much you were dwelling about gender roles in the book I was like oh I so see that like impulse to like I don't know you know as a woman climber try to be as best as possible but also like sometimes competition is just going to make something toxic yeah, so it's like hard to to make strike that balance. It is. It's it's a really hard thing to strike that balance. And I am I am I think I'm pretty darn competitive in that way, right? And I'm definitely competitive. I it's I used to think of us as equal, and I talk about in the book, right? Because we we were equal, but there's no way we were equal after I went through what I did to bring the kiddos into the world. So like, why did I still have that like? I don't know, like acts to grind and, 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 and how much is that helping me to have that? But also this moment of being like, damn it, like this isn't fair. Right. And it's like, well, why isn't it fair? And how do I deal with this? And how do I not let it destroy me while I'm trying to be curious about that question? And I think that's really the heart of the book is how I could sort through that, all of those questions and come out the other side, being married to someone who I deeply respect and love and raising kids with, a person who is absolutely the partner that I want to be doing that with in the world. That is definitely the heart of the book. Okay. Any last thoughts? Or... No, this was really, really, really fun. I was excited to chat. Thanks Hannah for, and I, it was really cool to be able to talk with you right when you finished it. Right. I almost could see you like your head spinning of sort of having been in my head for however much time it took you to read the book. Yeah, definitely. Very excited. I was, as I was reading, our librarian for the AAC library came up upon me and she's like, can I have that afterwards? I need to put that in the library. I was like, yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm really excited to share this with the AAC community and to help spread word. I think that, you know, it's starting to bubble into other spaces. Like, as I mentioned, the next big idea club, naming it a March must read and to help kind of bring this conversation about career and motherhood and climbing and marriage into the mainstream. I'd love everybody's help who's listening to the podcast. Awesome. And where can folks get a copy of this book? Yeah, you can get it at any retailer you want, whether it is, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, you name it, your local bookstore. If you want signed copies, you can hop on my website and I'm working with um, our great local bookstore here in North Conway and I go down and sign copies and they ship them out. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Micah, for talking to me today. Very excited about this book. Hope everyone is too. Thanks, Hannah. It was really a pleasure. This podcast is presented by Outdoor Research. Today's show was hosted by me, Hannah Provo, and produced by Sierra McGivney and Shane Johnson. We'd love your feedback. Leave us a review or a comment letting us know which episodes have been your favorite. 